Good evening, saints. It's good to be here. Church on a Sunday night for prayer. I've got a few notes here. Um, And I have a relatively simple exhortation and encouragement. Um, Probably makes sense to open a prayer night in prayer, so I'll pray. Lord, I just, uh, I look to you tonight. We come before you. We ask for your blessing. Um, We ask for your spirit to be here with us. And we want to connect with you. We want to connect with you for not only our benefit, but the benefit of others that are not here with us tonight, O oh God. And so we ask for your favor tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Um, so I want to talk about intercession. Uh, obviously, we, t- we talk about prayer, but I'm talking specifically about intercessory prayer. And while I'm finding my place here... There we go. Um, intercession. I'm going to use a couple examples. I'm going to show you where Jesus interceded and where the Holy Spirit interceded. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, you don't have to turn to it, but it's Isaiah 53, 12. The scripture says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And we know this verse is talking about Jesus Christ because of the context of it. Prophetic verse, messianic uh, prophecy. And he made intercession for the transgressors. We know that Jesus on the cross even prayed, Father, forgive them for what they, they know not what they do. The primary meaning of intercession is to come between or to go between it also has elements of uh, to mediate or to uh, attempt to reconcile. Usually in the case of uh, a person of lesser status interceding to someone of greater status. So we see Jesus is our great example of intercession. In Romans eight twenty six and 27, we see the Holy Spirit interceding. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Our infirmities, because we're weak and we need help. For we know not how we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us, goes between for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts and knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for, for the saints according to the will of God. So here we see the Holy Spirit interceding through us and for us. On our behalf. In Hebrews 7.25, I'm going to talk about what are we interceding for. Whereby he is also able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for, for them. So what are we interceding for? The primary thing we're interceding for is for the Lord to save us, right? That's number one. It's the primary thing. And when we pray for others, our primary prayer should be for them to come to Christ. That's number one. It, it's, it's above and beyond everything else. But in seeing uh, in the scripture, he's also able to save them to the uttermost. So there's a saving to the uttermost is big. It encompasses a lot. It encompasses salvation, you know, bringing someone into right standing with God. There's also an element of healing that can be in there as well. 
you know, saving to the uttermost, mentally, physically, body, soul, and spirit, the Lord wants to save us to the uttermost. So any prayers in that vein are according to the will of God and good intercession. So we have the perfect example of Jesus interceding to God the Father, coming between and entreating us to save us. When we intercede, we should be praying primarily to that end that souls would be saved. They need to be brought into right standing with God. How does this happen? I think part of this is the meaning of interceding. And in part of that, there's an element of dealing with. Because we want God to deal. When we pray for somebody who's not saved, we can't change their mind. If I could pay for people to get saved, I would. If I could say the right word and I knew that would get them saved, I would. Neither of those do it. It's God that has to convict their heart. They need to be dealt with by God. He knows how to do this. Their conscience needs to be stirred to the point of action. They need to understand their helpless state or backslidden state. It helps them to realize that they're in danger. Their eyes need to be open to it. You know, we think uh, in uh, those of us that work in, in business or industry, uh, there's a lot of emphasis on safety. Uh, no business wants their employees to get hurt on the job because that opens them up to tremendous financial liability. So there are all kinds of safety programs. And one which is particularly interesting is the lockout tagout. Is anyone familiar with that? I see some hands go up. Uh, so if you're working on high-voltage electrical equipment, and you're doing something on it, before you do that, you need to go to the circuit area where that power is coming from and flip the breaker and lock it so nobody can accidentally turn it back on while somebody's overworking on the equipment. When this has failed, people have died. So it's, it's very, very important to understand the danger, even though it's somewhat invisible. The, the state of people's souls is somewhat invisible to them. They don't, they don't realize it. They don't see the imminent danger. We need to pray that the Lord opens their eyes so they see their state. And the great mission in helping with this mission, we can help him with right words and prayers. It's a good thing to ask God for healing, for favor in certain circumstances, for financial provision. Those things are great. But when interceding for our primary prayer should be the salvation of souls. If they are lost, we want the Holy Spirit to do whatever it means necessary to bring them to that place. That would be my prayer for a backslidden son who I love. You know, I'm turning him over to God. Lord, deal with him. Do whatever it takes to wake him up so that he'll come to you. I'd... So we know, the, we know this is the will of God. It's, uh, we see the example of Jesus Christ. We see the example of the Holy Spirit. And I want to point you to a specific example of a great Old Testament intercessor named Moses. Now, we all know who Moses is, but Moses was a great intercessor. Um, he interceded for the, his, the people of Israel as a whole, and he also interceded for people specifically, individuals. In Home Fellowship, uh, in the chapter on overcoming, the module on overcoming, we talked about Miriam. Everybody remember that? I think everyone's got to that point. And Miriam was Moses' older sister. He also had an older brother, too, um, Aaron. And we we talked about some of the things Miriam had to overcome. But one thing, she sinned at one point. 
And uh, specifically, uh, she brought, her and her brother brought some criticism. They spoke evil of Moses uh, because he had taken an Ethiopian wife. And so it was a personal disagreement with their brother. It was a family situation. But because of their leadership position in the Old Testament in Israel, God didn't take that lightly, that they were coming against his anointed leader. And he called them out. And the cloud presence of God came down, and when he left, Moses, or excuse me, Marian had leprosy. She was judged for that sin. And Moses' reaction was really instantly. He cried out and said, Lord, please heal her now, O God, I pray. You can, you can hear the desperation. This was critical. His sister was in trouble. She had been judged severely for sin. He didn't want her to be a leper the rest of her life. And in the, in the mercy of God, he, he healed her. She had to be uh, restored according to the uh, priestly Levitical seven days. She had to wait outside the camp. So Moses, this is an example of Moses interceding for um, his sister. Um, in Exodus 32, this is a very sad chapter in the Bible and the history of the Old Testament. Uh, if you wanted to go there, you could. I'm going to read a little bit. Um, Take a um, few scriptures here. Um, let me set it up for a second because there's quite a quite a bit going on. So, uh, the people are, of Israel are on their uh, journey through the wilderness, and it's time to give the law. So the Lord calls Moses to come up to the mountain. He's going to give them the Ten Commandments, and um, so this is a big deal. We're going to get the written word. And Moses is up for 40 days and 40 nights. He's fasting and praying. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. And in the midst of this, um, the Lord interrupts because back down in the camp, there's a problem. Um, under the leadership of Aaron, his brother, so we talked about Miriam, now we're going to talk about Aaron a little bit. The people grew anxious. Moses was gone for a while. They saw fire on the mountain. Maybe Moses is dead. You know, we're going to have to take matters into our own hands. Hey, I've, somebody's got an idea. Let's pull some the, our gold earrings and jewelry that we've taken from some of the tribes we've overcome here and make a golden calf or a golden heifer. And it's a horrible thing. It's idolatry. It's wickedness. It's not a small thing. And so Moses up on the mountain, the Lord actually speaks to him and says, um, the Lord said to Moses, get thee down to the people which you brought out of the land of Egypt, for they have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them to go. They've made a molten calf. They've worshipped it. They've sacrificed to it and said, these be the gods, O Israel, which have brought us out of the land of Egypt. It doesn't get much worse than that, does it? That's pretty bad. I would say they were backslidden. Um, Moses, you know, he immediately goes down. Well, actually, he immediately goes to prayer. He knows this is a serious thing because the Lord says, Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and I will consume them. And Moses beseeches the Lord. He starts to intercede. Oh, Lord, don't let your anger wax so hot. Um, 
you have brought these people out with great power from the land of Egypt and with a mighty hand. Why then should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief he brought them out to slay them in the mountains and consume them? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest that you would multiply their seed as the stars of heaven and give them this land to inherit forever. In the King James, it says that the Lord repented of the evil which he thought unto his people. So Moses' intercession moves the heart of God to not judge them as severely as he would. And then Moses comes down from the mountain. The two tables of the law were in his hand. They were the work of God and the writing of God was on it. And Joshua meets him halfway down the mountain. They continue down the mountain. He says, there's a noise of war in the camp. And Moses says, no, it's not a noise of war. And it came to pass as soon as he came into the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and break them on the mount, beneath the mount. So Moses is extremely frustrated. He knew that it was bad because the Lord showed him up on the mountain it was bad. He probably didn't realize quite how bad it was. And I'm convinced that maybe he didn't realize that Aaron, his brother, the high priest, was so involved in this sin. And so immediately, um, Moses' challenges is Aaron. And I'll summarize what happens. Um, Aaron makes excuses. And, and uh, I, I would say here that Aaron was backslidden at this point. Uh, he broke a number of the Ten Commandments. Um, it's a terrible thing. And we actually see later in Deuteronomy, at the end of Moses' life, he's recounting, uh, before he dies, some of the victories and also some of the defeats of Israel. He's encouraging the people to go into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. He doesn't want them to make some of the same mistakes that he, they have in the past. And he points out to this particular example and he says, and the Lord sought to kill even Aaron too. The judgment was so heavy for that sin of idolatry that Aaron's life was in peril. But I prayed for him. And he was restored. And it's an amazing thing to me that Aaron, after all that, was able to be restored. And I want to say to you, saints, that you may think you have a loved one that's so far gone you just cannot see how they could be restored. But the Lord is the God, he's the God of the impossible. He's able to do this. Um, so don't ever think your prayers don't count. In this particular situation, Moses' prayers for his brother and sister counted. They counted huge. Our prayers count. God hears them. It's meaningful to see that even in the model prayer that Jesus gave us, there's some elements of intercession. Um, particularly when he says, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, plural, from evil. So when we're praying in the vein of the template of the model prayer, there's some elements of intercession there. Lord, save us from sin. Forgive us and deliver us from evil. These are prayers that are according to the will of God. At the end of 
last uh, Sunday night's prayer meeting, I was really encouraged by a couple particular prayers that we prayed. And one, um, and I don't see the Michaels here, but maybe you can tell him, Brother Mark, um, was Ian Michaels praying for his brother Chad, or Chad, not Chad, but Grant, for uh, safety and salvation. You know, it's a great prayer. We should pray for our brothers, as Moses did. Another, I believe a sister put in a prayer for all the backslidden youth of the church. So there's a group of people that we could all intercede for. You know, Moses was a great example of interceding both personally for family members and for groups of people as a whole. And I want to close with a, uh, a quote I found from uh, Charles Spurgeon. He preached a whole sermon, full Sunday full-length sermon on intercessory prayer. But I'm going to leave this as the exhortation, written 150 years ago. He says, the one thing, and I'll echo all this, I desire this morning is that my dear brothers and sisters in Christ would pledge themselves to be more persistent in prayer for sinners all around us. Like Abraham, a great city is before us. Let us plead for it. Like Moses, we dwell among a sinful people. Let us stand in the gap for them. I charge every member of this church by his duty to God, if indeed he is not a liar in his profession of faith, to pray persistently for the ungodly, that they may be brought to Jesus. Plead with Jehovah, plead. He loves your prayers. Your intercessions are like the sweet incense upon the golden altar. Plead with him and you shall see a reward for your pleadings in the conversion of the sons of men. Go home and make your children the special objects of today's cries. Implore the Lord to save your husbands, your wives, your kinfolk, your nearest neighbors. Implore a blessing upon the seat holders and the hearers of this congregation who remain unregenerate. Then take your streets, take the district in which you live, and entreat a gracious visitation. You will never lack for persons to pray for. Therefore, let us continue in supplication. I say amen, Brother Spurgeon. So let us pray, brethren.